Talk TV today talking to the great Mr. Joel Hoekstra. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks so much. You've been a very busy man over lockdown, and we've got a lot of ground to cover, but I wanted to ask you, uh, first of all, how are you doing, and can you walk us through your new album? Uh, I'm doing all right, man. I'm just trying to make the best of all this, you know, which I yeah. think just amounts to staying busy and uh, moving forward. So landscape has definitely changed. I've gone from you know, 2019 being on the road 285 days out of the year to uh, mm. being at home 365, oh. <laughs> basically. I mean, I toured a bit at the top of 2020 with Whitesnake, and that's when mm. everything got shut down. Uh, but in terms of the new album... You know, it's the second one under that, under the name Joel Hoekstra's 13, which is really mm -hmm. considered my rock side project. And uh, it has that name because I think it sounds like a band, but the thing is, is I'm writing it all, doing all the writing. So it's not really fair to call it a band. Uh, mm -hmm. And it also seems weird to call it a solo album when I'm not the yeah. one doing the singing or play, or it's not an instrumental album. So it sounds very much like a band when you listen to it. Um, so anyway, I thought a project name was most appropriate, so. Joel Hoekstra's 13, there you go. And so it's uh, hard rock, I would say hard, melodic hard rock, mm. Dio-ish at its heaviest, Foreigner-ish at its lightest. Uh, lineup is uh, Vinny Apice on drums, Tony Franklin on bass, Derek Sherinian on keyboards, uh, Russell Allen on lead vocals, yeah. and uh, Jeff Scott Soto, the most uh, overqualified background vocalist in the history of time. <laughs> Well, I've I've been very lucky. I've heard um, I've heard the record, and I have to say it's such a fantastic record, honestly, start to finish. Um, and I love that it took that, like you said, that late '80s sound, melodic, technical, even like paintings of AOR here and there, and just brought it really up to date. Um, I can't ask you to pick a song, but if I had to pick one, I'd probably say "Hard to Say Goodbye" or "I'm Going to Lose It." But I don't know what you would pick. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't want to pick one song from it. That'd be too hard for me. I spent too much time on them all. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, but, I, I mean, I like to think that all the songs on it are good. Um, mm. I don't think there's any... I don't think there's anything on it that's... In fact, most of the reviews I see are, are kind of surprising. There's the ones that maybe I thought wouldn't get talked about are getting talked about, and some of the ones that I thought maybe mm. would get talked about are not. <laughs> so... I, I think we're good. I think all the, yeah. all the songs are pretty strong on it. So um, hopefully people find it to be, what do they say, all killer, no filler, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I wanted to ask, what was your writing process going to this one? And how do you approach it? Are you someone who amasses song ideas over years and tours? Or is it just starting from scratch or riffs? There was a lot of, I can trace most of these back to being on the road and, mm. um, and, I usually do it in two different, uh, I guess, writing sessions in a sense, and that I'll, not a session, that's the wrong term, but writing blocks, because I'll write uh, the guitar riffs, and usually a chorus that yeah. I'll have an actual lyric for, and melody, and I'll probably have a melody for all of it when I write it. Um, then, now, this is a generalization, it's not that way for every single song, but in general, they work like this, and then... So I'll lay down the guitar tracks to a click and I'll play the melody on my guitar for Vinny and Tony. And that's mm. what they hear. So Vinny and Tony record that. And then once they're done, then I write the lyrics to the melody. Like, so I'll fill in what would be the verse lyrics, et cetera. Um, and I did that all in one shot. And 
yeah, and then from there we're off and running. You know, Russell Russell yeah. sings on it, and I, I lay down a scratch vocal, a, a guide vocal for, of the whole album for him. So he just listens to it and and sings it a lot better than me. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. I didn't actually know you wrote the lyrics as well. I think that's great. Yeah, that's just... that's why this is kind of yeah, that's why the project name. I mean, it's really yeah. my my baby in a lot of ways. I I mm. write everything on this and and. Um, and did on dying to live as well so uh yeah i mean it would just be weird for all those guys for me to call it a band when they're not getting yeah. any, any input in that department and i'm just doing i like writing everything but uh it's good fun for me to have an opportunity to kind of i guess be the person in charge for a minute not you yeah. know i'm always thrilled to be a part of all the bands i'm in and and uh and whatever level of input i get in those i'm always is always exciting but um, there's something neat about having one thing where you're kind of in charge of all the yeah. writing and then how the mix turns out, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. Well, actually you mentioned, um, it's such a great band you've got with you, you know, Vinny and, uh, Tony Franklin and Russ. I was going to ask you, um, cause Russell Allen also done some work with, uh, TSO like yourself and Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Um, I wanted to ask about basically your time with, TSO and uh, how that came about and uh, maybe even the Dreams of Fireflies EP, I think, because you, you did that one. Um, I mean, the studio with TSO is basically it's Al Petrelli who plays on everything because he's yeah. a, the, you know, the founding member and they bring us in here and there yeah. a little bit. But basically, I'm not, you know, not actively part of the records. That's Al's gig. Mm. Um uh and but as far as being a part of the the, the band and, and a part of the touring now i've been yeah. on board since uh 2010 wow. and you know great had lots and lots of fantastic times with that and uh hoping for more you know fingers mm. are crossed we can get back out there this year that was definitely the strangest part of this whole COVID thing was not having the tso tour that's when it was yeah. like oh man you know because that's such a tradition for so many yeah. people so uh that was that was the thing that hit me the most i would say was not doing really? that tour oh damn no i can understand i mean i was um a couple of weeks ago i was speaking to jeff scott soto actually because he's just put out as another solo record as well and i asked him about kind of his highlights over whatever time he was with tso and he said for him the one that stuck out was the vacuum gig when it was tso and sabotage mm -hmm. back to back and um were you there for that i can't remember if it was, I pre, that was pre 2010 wasn't it i was out with white snake at the time yeah. Oh, okay Fair yeah oh, that was a great but actually now i've have to ask you mentioned white snake i've got to go on to that now because i think the first time i saw you play live was in the purple tour with white snake mm -hmm. um so I wanted to ask you about your memories of doing that purple record and then of course flesh and blood, but especially the purple record, because that was something different, right? It was reimagining deep yeah. purple reimagining. Oh, that was fun. I mean, you'd have to include me joining the band right at that time. Yeah. I mean, they were already working on that and, and I mean they had tracks down and everything. So um it was that was an exciting time for me, uh transitioning over and, and uh joining the band and uh, getting to know everybody and mm. get getting out for the initial uh, tour and and uh, which was really uh, successful. I mean that was a that that tour did really well. Yeah. So yeah, um, fun fun times I would say. 
And then as far as like, you know, for me, that was just a perfect way to hop in because, you know, the songs are proven and cool songs. And yeah, and it was very much about just do our thing with them. It wasn't like, you know, trying to do a note for note re-record or anything like that, Mm. too. I think that's why the record works really well, because I was just listening back to it the other day, the Stormbringer, especially and Burn. It it sounds like the, the songs, you know, and love, but it's just fresh. Yeah. Yeah. New spin on them for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Well, then you, of course, you were, um, you were, I think you wrote half of the, uh, at least half the Flesh and Blood record with David, Sir David of Coverdale. I got to ask you about, because um, I've asked every, whoever's worked with him, I've asked them about the writing experience working with him. So I've got to ask you, how was that? Great. I uh, mean, really easy. David had a lot of ideas. So it was, a lot about just finishing and completing his ideas. There was a lot yeah. of where where would you go with this? Um, and that was how we found our groove. And, you know, David, it works uh, very quickly and um, follows his instincts. So you just have to make sure your initial ideas are yeah. good and, and quick, like right on the spot, give him something. And, uh, and then Reb and I demoed the stuff up, got it out to the guys, everybody recorded their stuff. So we had a... It was a really a lot of fun too, making flesh and blood. So it's mm. a, it's a good good lineup of guys, and and DC is great, man. He's a great great boss, great bandmate, great friend. So uh, super fun to be on board. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I mean, the last of White Snake, I would ask, have you got any highlights particularly that stick in your mind, whether it was gigs or recording moments or whatever with White Snake? Oh, it's hard to pick a moment. Yeah, that would be really hard to do. I mean, I, I've had a really great time with uh, with everything. So, mm. um, you know, no no complaints at, at all. I mean, I, it's just been really fun. Uh, lots of great memories. So fingers are crossed and, and hoping for more. Let's get the world open, man. Definitely. Well, I saw... Um... I saw actually that you got you have a new project now as well. I think with Michael Sweet and with Marco Mendoza, um, lots of really talented guys. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little about that. Yeah, that was uh, something Frontiers asked me about doing. Um, you know, obviously Michael Sweet and yeah. I had been talking for a while about doing something together, doing an album together, and then they presented the the concept of doing that with Nathan James, who's also mm. a friend of mine. Uh, I had co-written a song with him on the first Inglorious album and then two on this new record that's coming out yeah. on Friday for them. So um, Nathan and I are also mates through the TSO thing. He was with TSO West for a bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it seemed like seemed like good fun to me. And then the White Snake, the White Snake rhythm section was a yeah. little bit of a surprise, to be honest with you. I didn't really see that one coming. But it's um, Tommy and Marco. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but we'll we'll see where it goes. I mean, my, I think it's going to be very uh, collaborative in mm. terms of the way it's put together. We got a lot of people that like to write, so Michael asked me to give him guitar riffs, and so that's yeah. what I've done at this point. Now I think he's arranging those and turning those into song forms, and yeah. and then of course we got Alessandro Del Vecchio, and mm. we got uh, Nathan who liked to write, so. We'll see how it all all pans out in the end. I'm not sure who's doing what beyond me mm. putting in the guitarist, but that was yeah, that was my my job for it was to do that. I'm looking forward. Has it got a name yet? No, I don't believe so. Call it 14 <laughs> 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 or anything. 
Um, I was going to ask, I mean, you've, your work in touring over the last couple of years has been so impressive. And But there's one that kind of struck out as something slightly different, which was um, I've seen your videos doing the last chair tour, the last, uh, I think, the last two years. And I was going to mm -hmm. ask you, how was that? And how do you compare that uh, as a guitar player for, say, in a rock band, the normal live setup? Um. Yeah, I mean, that's something that kind of came out of left field, just had yeah. the opportunity to fill in, and it was supposed to be really just like a one-time thing for, yeah. uh, I mean, just a couple of shows kind of thing, and then it turned into something more full-time mm -hmm. there uh, for, uh, yeah, like about three years. So, um, yeah, I mean, great opportunity, great great fun. I, I liked being able to play all the different styles of music yeah. on the gig. There's uh, that, the music spanned decades with that mm. gig so there was all kinds of you know waka chaka disco yeah, yeah. stuff and and uh but and playing that you know i got you babe kind of stuff uh -huh. that 60s ish kind of sound and stuff and so um that, that was a lot of fun to, mm. to stretch out and play some different styles for a minute yeah. not just like you know the hard rock thing which is awesome that's my main thing but uh also cool to to play some other styles and to have an opportunity to step out with an icon like hers yeah. that's a great way to do it and yeah great experience man uh different than being in a rock band though for sure i mean that, that we were on a bandstand in the background the the whole gig except for two or three moments mm -hmm. where i would step out and then those moments would become enormously important because it yeah. was like the way the, that would, those were the only moments that people in the audience would see you during the gig. So it was like, mm -hmm. you know, the, their only opinion of you is going to be based on those two minutes that they saw you. So that had to go really well. And yeah. yeah. So anyway, that, that's kind of the, the gist of it there. So I would say not as heavy lifting like you're. Mm in the background, not needing to be visual, not being, not needing to be the yeah. entertainer, just play the parts really solid, which is cool. I don't, I don't mind doing that. Uh, it was kind of refreshing in a way. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you mean I could just stand here and just do what I want. Yeah. yeah. Just play like really solid. So it's almost like being in the studio for a bulk of the gig and then, um, and then try to be entertaining during those two minutes we talked yeah. about. I was, because uh, it reminded me, do you remember that um, that documentary, the Hired Guns one, where they were talking to some of the session guys about their gigs, and they were saying, you know, I can't remember who it was, Jason Hook playing with Britney Spears or something like that. And they go, yeah, well, this is a fun gig, and no one really cares what I do or where I stand until that one moment, and then I'm yeah. my own devices. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty much a pop gig in a nutshell, I would say, right there. But you know, I, I don't want to marginalize it. It's great yeah. I to have that opportunity. You know, it's, as a guitar player, you're lucky to have any of these opportunities for yeah. sure. There's a lot of people that are struggling out there and uh, to make a living at it. And so for me, it's yeah. all great. You know, it's like, hey, awesome. Definitely. Have you got anyone on your list of, say, dream artists you still like to collaborate with? No, not really. I, I just kind of leave all that stuff open and let life kind of take me where it does if I do my best at every turn. And um, yeah. that that's really where I'm at with that. Um, just every day, just try to do the best I can with everything. And life yeah. takes you to crazy places. You know, the share gig is a prime example of that. Mm -hmm. I, I never set my sights on saying, I'm going to work with share someday, but that ended up happening. And so um, same with, I would say the show rock of ages is my other example. Yeah. I give on that all the time. I, I was not 11 years old playing black Sabbath songs saying someday I'm going to be on Broadway. Yeah. 
but you never know. And that was a very, very positive influence on my life. I mean, I really, um, having Rock of Ages uh, changed my whole career. How was the Broadway experience? Uh, it was great. I mean, the, uh, quite frankly, the best thing mm -hmm. about that was I could take off whenever I needed to to still be able to tour with Night Ranger and Transcendent mm -hmm. Orchestra. So I don't know that I would have quit Night Ranger to take that at the time. If, yeah. if it was an either or situation, I probably would have stuck with the real world. I mean, it was great to be on Broadway, but especially great that I could still be a part of band. So what that did is it gave me a, a schedule that those two things fit together. Yeah. And I was able to uh, I was able to basically play every day there for six years. I mean, it was eight yeah. shows a week. So to have mm -hmm. that anytime I wasn't touring was pretty amazing. Yeah. So, that's yeah, that and that's the kind of thing I was talking about where it changed. I went from being like struggling musician who just joined yeah. Night Ranger to, you know, guy at the end of that six years, everything was different. Yeah. Well, looking, I was going to ask you actually about Night Ranger. Looking back on that as a project, how did that come about? Basically, how did it start and how did you find it um, stepping into a band like that, which had been so, so successful in the 80s, but it kind of taken a taken a weird turn after that? Uh, Jim, through Jim Peterick, he was uh, a friend of mine in Chicago. He founded Survivor in the Eyes of yep. March. And so I played in his house band for these world stage shows, they were called. And Kelly Kagi from Night Ranger was one of the regular guests. Yeah. So I was in the house band and then these, the guests would come out and you'd play three songs to them or whatever. And so, uh, I got to know Kelly over the years of doing that. Now you'd only see him once a year or whatever to mm -hmm. do the show, but, um, we became friends and I kind of pressed for an opportunity and it presented itself. And so I, I got in there and my audition was basically a gig and it went well and got to join the band and great, you know, great time with those guys, yeah. man. Uh, awesome, awesome experience for me. That's another one of those that's kind of, it's hard to sum up in like yeah. a, a one or two memories. I have a lot of memories of those guys, seven years. So um, mm. great time. That's fantastic. I mean, are you hoping that, I guess, you know, to round up, it's a weird time for musicians everywhere right now. What are you thinking um, the future looks like? And what do you think is going to have me long term for the record industry? What's left of it? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my head around what's happening now and kind yeah. of stay in the now. So I guess in a way I'm being a pessimist about it because I'm yeah. just looking at it like, hey, touring's not coming back because I don't want to turn into the guy who's just sitting around waiting yeah. for that and keeps getting disappointed, you know? Yeah, like the yeah. Band, I know the, band, the bands that keep booking the gigs and canceling them. moving it along. Right. So anyway, that's that's kind of where I'm at with that, man. Just trying to uh, just trying to move with the, what's happening right now. And if I'm being a pessimist, I, I, it is what it is, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to trying to um, stay active though and stay moving forward with it with guitar. Yeah. Do you hope you can tour the new record if it ever becomes uh, possible? I love that. I'd love to tour anything right now. <laughs> <laughs> the way the way things have been, I'll tell. Um, yeah, but no, I, I mean, especially we'd love to tour the record. That'd be great. We did one gig together in support uh -huh. of the first first album, Dying to Live, on the yeah. Monsters of Rock cruise. So yeah. uh, it'd be fun to do that, maybe string together a run or something. I don't know. I'll try. I'll do my best to make it happen. For sure. Uh, well, in that case, I guess anything left for any of your fans who might be listening and hopefully anyone who should check out the new record, anything for them? 
do you like to leave uh, them with? No, I mean, just thank you so much for any support. And, you know, if you've streamed a record mm. or whatever, bought or bought an album, uh, come to a show. Thank you so much. Give yeah. me the opportunity to live my dream here. So um, thank you. Yeah. Are you still a vinyl guy? I'm not really a anything guy. I'm just sort of a play guitar guy more than <laughs> anything. I'm one of the world's worst listeners in terms of listening to music. I, I yeah. find I work on it uh, so much that it's usually the last thing I want to do when I'm yeah. done is is listen to. <laughs> it's terrible. I've been saying that for years. And that's why I'm such a, still a classic rock guy, because I've just been always busy and kind of wrapped up in what i'm doing i've never yeah. had an opportunity to stay cool and stay with the times mm. at all yeah. I'm, I'm so i'm so far behind the times and the trends that it's not even funny man to me new music is the 90s still yeah same pretty much i was born in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so thank you so much I will. cool Th thank you man i appreciate thank it thank you to you